podcast ain't played nobody my name is Stephen godfrey you can find me at 38 godfrey on instagram on twitter you can uh find my group my gang all i ever cared about was this gang i need to start playing red dead redemption too I, I, i've got kids what can i do uh my gang is the banner society instagram at banner society twitter at banner society you know them you love them you probably tolerate them that's fine uh, this is podcast ain't play nobody we're charging into week 10 Yes, week 10. At a certain point, you stop doing the little podcast ad lib where you're like, I can't believe it's so late in the season, but I actually can't believe it's so late in the season. Uh, A couple things I want to promote real fast. As you are listening to this, if you are in the South Georgia, North Florida, anywhere in Florida area, there's a live shutdown full cast this weekend. Uh, It's in Jacksonville. Go to 25snakes.com, 25snakes.com. There are a few tickets left. We are trying to push this bad boy over the edge and pack the house. 25snakes.com, 25snakes.com. Go to there and buy your ticket for the live full cast before the Georgia-Florida game, before the cocktail party. Um, Also, please subscribe to the Read Option. That's our daily newsletter. Please visit me on Instagram uh, at the Banner Society for my uh, Saturday Insta for Olds Q&A. Uh, where we talk about parenthood and minivans and fall fe- fall foliage and just being awake at 5 a.m. because you decided to breed. This is a mistake you made, and I'm here to join with you in that mistake. Uh, I would also like to just shout out to Bud Elliott. Um, if you want to make that money and get that bag, as the youth might say, uh, please join Bud Elliott on our Twitch, our Banner Society Twitch. If you're familiar with Twitch whatsoever, um, open that bad boy up, search Banner Society. Starting as early as Sunday afternoons when those when those first lines hit, Bud has a gambling show. He's real, real good at it. So if you'd like to make some cash money, you might want to pay attention to Bud. Um, I think that's it. Spencer is also jumping in on the Twitch and doing like actual video game stuff. Now and again, I don't know if there's anything else that I need to promote. Um, I'm on that ESPN show. That happens every Tuesday. It's great. That's fine. Uh, I know that I'm going into the studio at ESPN to record my portion of the uh, Boosters series for The Right Time with Bomani Jones. So I will promote that and tell you guys where to listen to it as soon as I know uh, when it's going live. I think that's it. We're about to look at a really, 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 really good week. It's just bad in the morning, okay? Um, it's got tonight a great game, Georgia Southern app. I'm pumped for that on Halloween. Happy Halloween, everybody. Um, and then there's a lot of good football later in the day on Saturday. So y'all enjoy that. Uh, please enjoy the show. I will see you guys on Sunday with Alex Kirshner for the hurry up. This is week 10. The podcast ain't played nobody's tasting menu. Gentlemen, we start week 10 the way all weeks in the double digits should start with inclement, bad, nasty weather. It's Halloween, October 31st. We have two games. I'm very, very excited about our first game. That would be Georgia Southern at Appalachian State at 7 o'clock Central on ESPNU. The other game at the same time, ESPN has undefeated Baylor hosting West by Damn Virginia on ESPN. Let's talk about it first. Let's talk about uh, Georgia Southern and App State and bad weather. Um, but you were the one who came up with this note first. It's going to be almost freezing plus raining, and we were debating in the pre-show uh, whether or not we were going to go with like the triple option being a good thing in this in this climate or a bad thing because of the amount of uh, ball exchange that you have. Yeah, a uh, low of 31, rain chance real high, winds um, probably you know, 20 miles an hour. The, the only thing I don't like about running the triple in the weather is that like when you mishandle a, a, a 
when you mishandle the ball running the triple, it's a fumble. When you mishandle <laughs> when you mishandle the ball throwing the football, it's an incomplete pass. You know, we have we have seen issues here, you know, before of option teams in the rain, but I, I just want to watch that. Like if you're these teams, you want to get out of this thing in like two hours. App State runs the hell out of the ball. Yeah. Georgia State or Georgia Southern runs the hell out of the ball. Um this is gonna be I'll have it on in the background. This is gonna be a Mike Felder special, friend of the pod. Um, real quick in and out here. Why is um why am I feeling like Georgia Southern could pull the upset here? Am I just an idiot? That's Georgia Southern. Well, I know that. I mean, it's a fandom sort of thing. But also, like, has as much as you can test App, have they been tested with that schedule early on in the Sun Belt? I know they beat North Carolina. So we they got won their their big game against Louisiana Lafayette on the road. I mean, okay. they, they beat them by double digits, and it was like I I don't think Georgia Southern's in in, in the same same weight class here because App can get stops on defense, and, and I Georgia Southern's defense I don't think can get stops. That's like it's this isn't this isn't like a triple option game where it's like a triple option shootout. Like what Bud said is true. Like w- once you blink against them, like they're just going to keep running away from you because that they score perpetually. Like okay. they're going to score. You have to keep up with them. Um, it's similar to like an, an SMU or you know UCF in the heyday, something like that. Like they are going to race out to a number of points you can book. All right. Um West Virginia and Baylor, um, speaking of undefeateds that we're trying to create referendums on, West Virginia is going to Baylor. I don't know if that's necessarily the uh, – this is probably not the end of the streak, gentlemen, uh, by any stretch. West Virginia was uh, certifiably bad when we started the season. They've had some workmanlike victories. They're not maybe as bad as we thought. They are not the team that's going to beat Baylor. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, they're still they're still searching. They're still trying to find it. That That's okay. Um, that's okay. It's year one slash zero for, for your boy. Um, that's all right. Baylor's a good football team. Bud, um, is Baylor suspicious in any kind of gambling way? Like, are people jumping on this or jumping off of this? Are they waiting for the bottom to fall out? Uh, I'm actually going to play Baylor, uh, today at FanDuel, uh, actually, uh, against, uh, they're, they're getting 1.5 points at home against Texas in a, in a futures line here. So okay. I'll be... I'll be taking Baylor as a slight underdog uh, at home against Texas. Their uh, their other one for the look ahead here, if we can jump ahead just because we're talking about Baylor, they're catching 10.5 at home from Oklahoma in Week 12. I don't think people are, are suspicious of Baylor because Baylor went out. I was a little bit suspicious after the Iowa State game, right, because they I don't think they really outplayed the Cyclones by much, if at all. Uh, but they did go and just beat the absolute dog shit out of Oklahoma State, and, uh, and that was good because Oklahoma State now looks even better having gone on the road and uh, beating Iowa State. Sounds good to me. Gentlemen, on Friday, November 1st, we have one game. We have Navy at UConn on ESPN2 at 7 p.m. Central. Uh, we need to stop and pause because I caught some strays in the Slack uh, last weekend. We have a open Slack for Banner Society. If you're a fan of our content, you come and watch the games with us. It was possibly correctly pointed out that um, we have not talked any Navy this year and that Navy is the best triple option team, the best academy teams thus far. Well, Um, we don't respect the troops, that's why. Well, they also pointed out maybe an Army bias. We did talk a lot about Army, really only in the context that they're kind of falling apart. Uh, Down the stretch, they've lost to Georgia State. They lost to San Jose State at home. Meanwhile, Navy, 
AAC schedule, acquitting themselves nicely. Obviously, they're going to beat UConn because it's UConn. So, uh, bully for you, Navy. I don't think that they are good enough to compete in the AAC. I do think they are the best of the three academies for sure at this point this year. And so props to uh, that staff because they did undergo a defensive change. They started to wane. I mean, they were so dominant for so long. Um, and then I, I think because Army really replicated their model to a T, including recruitment and player development, you saw them catch up for a second. But Navy has responded nicely this season. Uh, they look very good. Sorry about that. Go Navy. How's that? I mean, the, but so here's the thing that, I mean, you've got to entertain them winning this division. They, they're two wins away from winning this division. They beat SMU and they beat Houston and they win. they win the division. I just don't think either one of those things is going to happen. Oh, um, no. Sorry, 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 sorry. Excuse me. They lost to Memphis. They would lose a tiebreaker with Memphis. Exactly. But if you assume that uh, uh, that Memphis beats SMU this weekend. Yeah. Or you mean the other one? You mean, well. So so right now, just to clarify things. My apologies. As, right as you listen yeah, to this they, podcast. They need another Memphis loss. My bad. Yeah, we, they need Memphis to lose. As our listeners only listen to this podcast, and we we scrape desperately around the concept of numbers. Um, so the current standings in the American Athletic Conference in the West. By the way, gun to everyone's head. No one can name these two teams in the divisions, and that's fine. It's totally okay. Um, SMU is 4-0 in conference play. Navy is 4-1 in conference play. Memphis is 3-1 in conference play. I will pause there because Tulane's 2-2. Two two. It doesn't matter after that. Navy. I get shit last week for not being able to name the MAC favorites, and it's okay that nobody knows the American divisions. Unbelievable. Well, you don't know them either. Unbelievable. <laughs> you don't know them either. Wow. So that's what you were sore about on Twitter last week because I surprised. There's no surprise game this week, but young man, live in fear. Um, three and one Memphis, and four and one Navy. Memphis has the advantage over Navy because they beat them head to head. However, it would take. Uh, let's see. How does this break down, gentlemen, real fast? So SMU would obviously need to lose immediately to Memphis. Yes. Then Memphis mm-hmm. would need to lose down the stretch with, I'm looking at probability here, Cincinnati is who they close their season with, so it's not impossible, plus Navy winning out. I don't yeah, Navy, think, Navy's got to win out, and Memphis needs to lose once. Yeah, and I don't think all these things are going to happen quite this way, to be totally honest with you. Navy um, has the most friendly schedule of these three teams that are remaining by far. Right, they they, do they're not basically have to play done with their, with their conference schedule. Um, real fast, just just a snap call. We're not even into the rest of the weekend yet. If you guys had to pick a, a an American Athletic Conference winner this year, who is it? Cincy by far, just because wow. their division is lo- is locked up. Okay, all right. So so I you're mean, just treating it like a one game season, basically. Well, here's the thing. Like I think if you're doing this, you're not saying this is the best team. In fact, I I don't necessarily think it's the best team, but like you have to give a lot of deference to the team that's most likely to make the championship game. And because they have the tie break over UCF, since they could still lose a game and still go to the title game. Okay. All right, Richard. Um, I actually do think Navy ends up winning this division and plays Cincinnati. Um, wow, there you go. We love the troops. All bets off in that game. Um, but a Cincinnati-Navy think, game would be salty. Yeah, a Cincinnati, you want to talk about a game that ends in an hour and a half. Um, yeah, I, I would probably take Cincy in that game. But as we get near it, I may be able to triple option, talk myself into the triple option and, and being the changeup and winning that game. So you think Navy is a better team than both Memphis and SMU? Yeah, not necessarily. I think Memphis can lose again, um, and I think SMU is going to lose. Okay. I like I. 
I think SMU is playing with house money, and I love it, and it is a lot of fun, but they are playing with house money. We have atoned for our absence of Navy coverage in the biggest way possible. Gentlemen, let's go to Saturday. Starting at 11 a.m., let's run through those games real, real fast. Like Boston College goes to Syracuse on ACC Network. Buffalo is at Eastern Michigan on ESPNU. Houston goes to the Central Florida Golden Nats uh, on ESPN2. Um, it is an actual FBS game. Liberty is at UMass on Nesson. Uh, ABC has Michigan at Maryland. NC State goes to Wake Forest on ESPN. Nebraska is at Purdue on Fox. Northern Illinois is at Central Michigan on CBS Sports Network. Texas San Antonio goes to Texas A&M on the SEC Network. And then Plus has Old Dominion at FIU. Um, I will throw the 1 o'clock in here just for fun, and then we'll start again at 2 o'clock. So there's a 1 and a 1.30. Uh, Akron goes to Bowling Green, also on Plus. And then VTech goes to Notre Dame on NBC at 1.30 Central. So um, I would like to start with Nebraska at Purdue. Um, obviously, we're not blown away by this morning slate by any stretch. This is definitely your get things done period, perhaps a long brunch. Just depends on how you decide to live your life. Um, huh, okay. You can come hang out with me in a parking lot in Jacksonville. Sounds good. Um, Nebraska, bud, they need this game to go bowling. Uh, tell me about Nebraska's chances of going bowling. And then, Richard, I would like for you to explain Purdue. Uh, so, Nebraska lost last weekend to uh, Indiana. And I, here's their they, they are at uh, four wins right now. Their remaining games are at Purdue. Wisconsin, at Maryland, Iowa. Okay. I'm not real convinced that they, they can beat Iowa, although it's, it's at home and it's not like Iowa's a juggernaut. They'll probably get Maryland because Maryland is just cratering at this point. Um, although if they get Josh Jackson back, some things could happen. And I don't really feel great about Nebraska's chances to beat Wisconsin um, at home. So, look, if they don't win this, they got to take two out of three of Wisconsin at Maryland, Iowa. That doesn't seem real likely. And so if Nebraska wants to go to a bowl or be stuck in cold Nebraska for the winter, probably going to need to win at Purdue this weekend. Is the world ending if they don't go to a bowl this year, or are we still completely bought in on the Church of Frost? And by we, I don't mean us. I mean Nebraska. I think Nebraska fans, because like if if Scott Frost doesn't work, like what do you – I'm not saying nobody else could possibly work. I think that's that's too reactionary, but um, they're going to give Scott Frost all the time in the world, I think, to make this work. What if, and it's not going to happen, Richard, I'll get to you in a second, it does fail, would they not finally be primed to go back and have a modified option with a Willie Fritz-type coach and just embrace their true identity? It's not going to happen. That's virtually what they're doing, right? There's guess, some yeah, but there's something way, way, way more pedestrian in the PR that if especially if it fails with your with your chosen one, right? I mean, well, this, because so I, they're they're the option air quotes option that they're running is out of shotgun. It is modern. It is modernized. The the option mm-hmm. that you could be able to uh, to brag about on a press release is the under center I formation. That type of stuff. That ain't coming back. And I don't even think Nebraska fans want that to come back. I, I don't think. No, they just want to win at this point. I don't I don't know if they're married to scheme anymore. I think that's that's gone by the wayside. Richard, um remember Purdue? That was that was a thing. 
Yeah, I mean, I honestly think it's as simple as one of the best college football players in America, your offensive talisman, is has not played in a month, and therefore you're not very good. Like, uh, it, you know, and even when he was playing, you ran into a TCU team that that a TCU team that said this kid is not beating us. Yeah. Um, and then the Minnesota team where obviously he got hurt and the quarterback got hurt in the same play. Um, I have a question. Uh, what are we telling people to watch in this slate? Like, what am I supposed to put my name next to and say, watch this product? Your kids, your loved ones. <laughs> this is like, uh, bite the bullet. Watch your kids for three hours. There's nothing to watch here. Thank you, this bud. Is the worst nooner we've, we've seen all year. It's pretty bad. Uh, I'm, tr- I'm trying to find... I'm trying to find the diamond in the rough. Um, Here's the diamond in the rough, only f- in, in a completely non-football context. VTech goes to Notre Dame after Notre Dame's situation last week in the rain at Ann Arbor. Notre Dame needs to win this game immediately, right the ship, yada yada. VTech not really equipped to beat Notre Dame until a week ago, but. That Notre Dame is susceptible to even what Virginia Tech can offer this year. So, like, I am grasping at straws. Yeah, we're we're reaching here. I think Notre Dame will be fine as long as a hailstorm doesn't appear. Um, Houston UCF might be fun, maybe. Right, but totally irrelevant. Uh, Very strange. Yeah, this is tough, guys. So, I think for the first time in the history of the tasting menu, uh, fast, I guess. Wow. Yikes. Fasting. Okay, we're fasting, guys. Um, that's it. It's very popular in Los Angeles, so I hear. Intermittent fasting. It's a new wave. Oh, man. There, there's your intermittent fasting. Okay. Wait, bud, aren't you, aren't you on that, bud? Yeah, I've done that before. It, it's actually uh, it's pretty solid. Okay. Well, there you go. Be like bud. Don't eat anything. Um, Let's go to 2 o'clock. ESPN3 has Troy at Coastal Carolina at 2.30 on ESPNU. Arkansas State goes to Louisiana Monroe. Uh, we start the Commander-in-Chief dash with Army at Air Force on CBS Sports Network. Uh, the big one we'll get to in a second. Florida, Georgia. Yo cocktail party. Jacksonville, Florida, 2.30 CBS. Oh, yeah! Uh, all right, he's real fired up, so you know you know, you know how this is going to go. All right, uh, Kansas State goes to Kansas uh, on FS1. Miami is at Florida State on ABC. We'll talk about that in a second. <sighs> Rutgers is at Illinois. Some things are harder to say than others. Rutgers is playing football at Illinois on the Big Ten Network. TCU is at Oklahoma State on ESPN. Uh, our AT&T, because that's what we found out, that AT&T actually, that's that's what that means. Um, UNLV and Colorado State on AT&T. Rocket Mountain also at 2.30. UTEP goes to North Texas. On NFL Network, Facebook has Marshall at Rice. MTSU is at Charlotte on ESPN3. We move to 3 o'clock. I will figure out whether or not, in just a second, this is an anxiety bowl. Many people have asked. (laughs) Mississippi State is at Arkansas. Pittsburgh is at Georgia Tech on the ACC Regional Sports Nonsense. Tulsa is at Tulane on ESPN2. Utah goes to Washington. I'm just going to put a, a pin in this real fast. Programming note. We are going to talk about Utah and Washington. I want to talk about it alongside of USC and Oregon. So we will uh, probably tell you to watch that game. We will actually talk about it in the next segment. Okay. Um, Let's go to Wofford going to Clemson. Awesome. Great. Another week where we don't know anything about Clemson. Game of the week. Yeah. yeah. 
All right. Um, we also have at three o'clock Florida Florida Atlantic FAU goes to Western Kentucky, uh, or that's on ESPN Plus. Oregon State is at Arizona on the Pac-12 network. Uh, skipping ahead, we have four o'clock Texas State at ULL. Uh, we will stop there. We will come back at six o'clock. Uh, all right. Um, Okay, before we get to the Florida games, real fast, is there anything else that you guys would like to discuss? We are going to tell you definitely to watch Utah and Washington. We will discuss the context of that game alongside USC and Oregon because they are extremely similar in narrative. Um, Anything non-Floridian you gentlemen would like to discuss before Richard goes off on the cocktail party? Yeah, I mean, look, Sunflower State's got a good one. Um, Kansas State and Kansas, which is... Boy, howdy, not something I thought I was going to say in August. Yeah, continue continue this sales pitch. Uh, look, it, it's you are going to see some fun and inventive offense. Um, Kansas doing the all-RPO thing, new offensive coordinator, Les Miles. It's fun again. Um, Kansas State, I just want to come back because we talked about this on the Sunday show. Um, the, the play, and I guess plays, that Kansas State ran against Oklahoma, uh, particularly on the first drive of that game. Um, to take care of Oklahoma's overaggressive linebackers, it's it looks like the the guard on the back on the backside of the play is going to pull to the other side. He doesn't pull. He kind of hides behind the tackle and then inserts back in and blocks the hell out of a linebacker. It, I've never seen anything like it. It's apparently a North Dakota State staple that Kleinman and, and company brought over. Um, so okay. yes, you're gonna you're gonna see some inventive offense in that game. Pay attention to it. Um, Tulsa Tulane. Uh, Tulane, I'm not going to say Tulane won't go to a bowl game if they don't win this game. I'm just saying Tulane should probably get the whole bowl eligibility thing out of the way and just win this game. Um, that would be the second time in school history they've gone to -to back-to-back bowl games if they do get six. Tulsa, uh, I want to ask you about this, Richard, because we were kicking this around in the office, uh, our digital office this week. Uh, Tulsa is not pit super weapon status because they do not actually finish the job. However, when Tulsa is faced with the best that the AAC can offer, they become a platinum level nuisance, uh, to say the least. They've done this now against SMU. They've done this against Memphis. They have not won those games, but all of a sudden they do achieve a super weapon status. What is going on? Yeah, there? I don't know. They're just a daggone nuisance. Um, like they they switched. I think they switched to the 3-3-5 last season, either last season or this preseason. Um, installed the 3-3-5 defense. That's a defense that can get really funky with the fronts because to bring a fourth rusher, you can literally bring a fourth rusher from anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. Corner, nickel, linebacker, doesn't matter. Um, so that's just an interesting way to play ball. Tulane, also on the other side, um, the way they play offense with new offensive coordinator Will Hall. I don't know if you're still new nine weeks into the season, but um, with with first year first offensive year. coordinator Will Hall, like they are still doing the shotgun triple option stuff, but they're also doing like wing T stuff under center. Um, what Tulane is fun. Tulsa's defense is fine. I'm not going to say it's it's upper third in college football, but it's fine. Tulsa can do the pesky Tulsa thing, and maybe win this game. Okay. All right. Uh, Bud, a couple questions. One, are you at peace with not knowing anything about the the Big 12 after Oklahoma? Slash Baylor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like pretty much what we've been saying as far as 
everything except for the fact that Oklahoma lost. So scratch that. Uh, what do you do with a game like TCU and Oklahoma State? It's an elimination game, right? I mean, whoever loses this will either pick up their like, third or fourth conference loss, and you're, you're not going to get the Big 12 title game this year with uh, with, with three losses in conference. So uh, the winners of this need to – like, if you win this, you're, you're still alive in the race. And both these teams had, had nice uh, upset wins over the weekend. So um, – I think this is kind. Of, this could actually be kind of a fun game. Max Duggan, the, the quarterback for TCU, was a kid I liked a lot. I didn't think he progressed this fast as quarterback, I and mean, he's a true freshman and he's doing better than I thought he would. Um, that's that, that's why I'm kind of excited to watch. God, there are four two loss teams in the Big Twelve and a three loss Oklahoma State. Yeah. Jeez. Um, are they bad or are are we in transition? We we are not talking about this the way that we're talking about the ACC. Is are you talking about the Big Twelve? Yeah, I, I think it's kind of the connotation, right? The connotation is that the ACC Coastal is a bunch of mutually assured destruction. That that office gif of everybody like pointing the finger guns at each other, right? Um, and can't get out of their own way. But the Big Twelve, it's it's. I think the Big Twelve is also a little bit different because they don't have the divisions. Like the coastal, like in the ACC, you can segment your mind to say the Atlantic is one heavyweight that's probably going to go to the national championship game, and a bunch of also rands. Most of them happen to be clustered in the same division. Clemson can kind of lift up the conference and especially its division by being Clemson. The Big Twelve is a little bit different. It's Oklahoma and then everybody else in this soup. Because there's no divisional thing. They're all fighting for second or third place. Sorry, Baylor. I didn't forget about you. But I want to ask you another question real fast. We haven't even touched the Florida stuff yet. Um, is Pitt falling apart secretly? I ne- This is my theory on Pitt. Um, they're they're going to play at Georgia Tech this weekend. Georgia Tech got their first conference win against Miami. And, you know, huge program moment. Then they went on a bye. They were able to heal up a little bit. I look at Pitt's schedule and what they've done this year. We we looked at the US, the UCF thing with probably the wrong context because hey, you know UCF hadn't had a regular season loss in a long time. It was a big deal, and they did it um, in a pretty dramatic fashion. So it was good football. They have a three point win over Delaware. They have a three point win over Duke. They had a seven point win over Syracuse. None of this is really jumping off of the page at me. And now I look at their home stretch of Georgia Tech, North Carolina, Virginia Tech, Boston College. I don't feel that confident the way I thought. I, I mean, I, at one point I considered Pitt to be like a nine and three team and, and a decent. Oh, what? I mean, it was possible when you looked at the schedule. To be totally honest with you, it was very possible. They looked really bad in Miami. What am I seeing here with Pitt, bud? I think I had a missing a bowl in the preseason, so we, we've been pretty far apart in our expectations of this squad. Um, but so what you're seeing is an offense that's just real bad. Uh, they yeah. lost two 1,000-yard rushers off last year's team. Uh, they lost a bunch of offensive linemen off last year's team. They brought in Mark Whipple to try to help them out with the passing game, which makes a lot of sense. But uh, they're they're a team that still wants to run the ball, you know, a, a whole lot, and mm-hmm. that's uh, that's not something they're able to do. So they have, I think, they have to throw it more than they're comfortable with. You also have Pat Narduzzi making just terrible game game management decisions all these short field goals again he's pulling a ding, crystal ball ding, ding. uh i mean this is this is pretty bad as far as how they're managed but like they should win this weekend at georgia tech right i think they'll be favored at home over north carolina they'll be favored at home over boston college the game at virginia tech we'll see so you know it it's not crazy godfrey to think they could they could win out but they could also like 
the, their game against against Miami, I, I don't think that they were really outplayed by that much. I think that they had some unfortunate turnovers uh, and did not finish in the red zone. But they they outgained Miami on on a per play basis by what like thirty percent. I think it was they they held Miami to like three point five yards of play. So the post game win expectancy for Pitt was like sixty five percent or something against Miami. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so they if you play that again with the same stats. Pitt's probably winning that game. They're just they're not great. Like they're they're fine. Like they're an above average college football team, but nothing special. We uh I think in the in the coaching realm of talking about guys who could go places or get fired or whatever, we didn't know, you know, we had a one and two pit, then they beat UCF, they win four straight, and all of a sudden it's oh well maybe he could replace D'Antonio if he retires. And so Big, crazy narrative shifts at Pitt this year. Um, all right, guys. Uh, I, I'm open. I'm going to open the floor to this. <laughs> Is this an anxiety bowl? Mississippi State goes to Arkansas. We know the situation about Arkansas. Uh, it, it's one of the worst starts in the modern era to a coaching regime in, in, at a at a non-Vanderbilt, non-Kentucky type situation. Um, I mean, there's not much more you can say. Nothing has worked right for Chad Morris. Personnel decisions, recruiting, development. Um, you are past the point in time, I think definitively, where you can blame the previous coach for the condition of a roster unless you're talking about major NCAA sanctions, of which Arkansas had none, I might add. They just look like they did. And then on the other side, you have a Mississippi State team that has – I don't know. The most generous way I can say this is they've they've sort of lost the script under Joe Moorhead. Um, they're not cohesive on offense. The defense obviously took a step back in terms of talent, but they were still pretty good, and yet they have not produced. Uh, it's been a bad year. That K-State loss was really a harbinger looking back. This is a team that's just been uh, beaten up in, in the run of Auburn, Tennessee, LSU, and A&M. They really, really thought – Mississippi State fans and boosters really, really thought that Tennessee was a win, that A&M could have been a win. Um, and no. I mean, the way Tennessee handled them, especially on defense, I thought was pretty alarming for Joe Moorhead and what he was supposed to bring in. So four straight losses for Mississippi State, a gajillion straight losses for Arkansas. Richard, is this an anxiety bowl? Uh, I'm trying to figure out who – I'm trying to figure out which outcome is worse for which team. Um, I like, I think that Arkansas losing, I I think Arkansas losing, I'm not gonna say it's fine because it's a loss and it's not going to be good because it's still over in the SEC, but I really think the straw that will or won't break the camel's back comes on the ninth against Western, which we've talked about. The two of us have talked about. Yeah. Mississippi state is a little bit different. Mississippi state should not lose this game. They shouldn't. And I think that nobody really, I don't think anybody really thinks like this, but like Tennessee is sort of a fulcrum for how like Tennessee doing what Tennessee is doing. And we'll get to this when we get to Tennessee later tonight is, is, is bad for both these teams because Tennessee not only beat Mississippi state, but Tennessee is improving on the side of the ball where their head coach is an expert. You say what you want about Tennessee. They're not a great football team. I don't even know if they're an average football team. But they are getting better at the place where the coach has the expertise. And neither Arkansas or Mississippi State are doing that. Bud? 
I don't see how there can possibly be anxiety for Arkansas. Like, is there really that big of a difference between going from two wins to three wins on the year? Like, they, they weren't expected to make a bowl by, by Vegas or by anybody else. We knew in the preseason that staff was not happy about having to go Starkle Hicks. Like, th- those were not the guys who they wanted to come in and be their quarterback. They didn't think they were good enough. We, we, we heard that, like, from people we, we all know and talk to in the offseason. <laughs> like, man, if we end up with Hicks and Starkle, this is going to be rough. They knew it. That's who they ended up getting. And, uh, like, that's not a surprising result for them, I, I don't think. Now, that the margins by which they're losing games, I, I think, is is concerning uh, to me. And, like, if you had the money to buy out Chad Morris, I would probably do it, I would think. Uh, but it's a pretty big buyout, I think. Uh, that's, that's more y'all's. Y'all's realm with Mississippi State. If they if they lose this, they're they're not going to make a bowl. Yeah, that's the big thing. I think I think it's an anxiety bowl one way, and that's why I'm I'm ruling against it. I, I think Bud makes the better argument, no, not against Richard, but just against the idea of it being an, an anxiety bowl. Because if Mississippi State, yes, congratulations, Bud. If they lose this game, <laughs> they they need three to get to a bowl, and their last three are Alabama, Abilene Christian. And then Ole Miss in a terrible situation because they don't want to be fighting for ball eligibility against Ole Miss, which they're they're going to be now because chances are they're going to win this game against Arkansas. They're they're going to pick up the win against Abilene Christian, then they're going to have to get that number six against Ole Miss. That's not a situation they want to be in at all. Um, I don't know, however, if they were to lose to Arkansas or Ole Miss or both, I guess that that Moorhead would necessarily get fired. Um, I don't think that he's at the very top of Rutgers' list. I don't know if there's a job opening that just screams his name immediately. Um, obviously, it's not working, and it would be a very tough offseason. I don't think that they would move to fire him in year two. So, all that being said, gentlemen, I'm going to go ahead and rule and say it's very close. It has a lot of the ingredients. It is not an actual anxiety bowl. I apologize to all of you who wanted to label it as such. I also That's apologize Thank you. There's the gavel. Um, I also apologize to everyone because we have ads right now. All right. Let's talk about Florida. Yeah. Uh, Richard, I was doing some radio hits this week, and I started to think that um, Georgia's not going to miraculously get better at the wide receiver position. Uh, I disagree. All right. Well, then I also thought they don't have a safety valve like uh, the tight end Nada that they had uh, until recently, right? That is true. I agree. Okay. And the play calling is not going to suddenly get more intelligent, it seems. Unclear, but I okay. trend I trend toward agreement. I trend so, toward agreement. Regardless of the situation at quarterback for Florida, I'm starting to think that we often seem to bet against third and Grantham. And yet I look at Georgia and I see a recipe for Grantham to get right and absolutely befuddle Georgia's offense. Am I on the right track? Yes, because they're getting both the defensive ends back. Now, they're not getting them both back at, at 100%, but they are getting both uh, Grenard and Zuniga back. That is going to be huge for Florida's defense, especially what they can do behind those guys if he wants to just play like straight man coverage behind those guys or if he wants to mix and match some zone stuff and try to confuse Jake Fromm. Um, I... I think that, first of all, Georgia's pass, if Georgia's passing offense doesn't get better with Lawrence Cager coming back, whether they win this game or not, they have serious issues. Because that dude is a football player. That dude can absolutely play. And he gives them a dimension where you can say, you know, 
you know, bar anything else, we can throw the ball up to Lawrence Cager in a 50-50 situation and he can win. And right now, I don't know if they have receivers that can win well in man coverage. I also, like Bud and I said, I think two weeks ago, that also combines with the play calling. Now, did Georgia cook something up after the bye week? Was Georgia Did Georgia kind of slow play its passing offense because they didn't think they needed it against South Carolina or Kentucky? Maybe. Maybe they bring a little something-something out. Um on uh, that's that's the big question with Georgia the passing offense obviously Florida I think the the big question is the rush the rushing attack mm-hmm. I, like if Florida can't run the ball I'm not saying they can't win the game but I don't like I would not put my stock in Florida only relying on explosive plays against this defense like okay. that's that's not a recipe for that's not a recipe that that fills me with optimism about them winning this game potentially. Let me ask you this: What uh, from Florida's offense so far this year, and obviously there's been some twists and turns in the road, has you confident about this Georgia defense because they seem inconsistent from a distance? Um, and I have a tough time saying I'm picking Florida or Florida is the favorite here. Because of their, because of the identity of the offense, let's say. Well, I actually think Trask is fine. I think Trask is like a perfect Dan Mullen quarterback, like a guy who can make throws. Like I'm not going to sit here and say he can't make throws. He can make throws. He doesn't have much regard for his body, um, and so he he will try to make plays. Um, I think Dan Mullen has what he needs there. Um, Man, if he's an evangelical Christian, that's the recipe for them Gators. Exactly. Um, yeah, if he's an evangelical Christian, national championships soon come. Um, you know, when they put, when Florida puts in Emory Jones, they're going to have to figure out a way to make that package more multiple. Um, I think they probably should put Emory Jones in the game, and they probably will. Um, but they are going to have to ask Emory Jones to throw the ball in this game, I think, if you're going to put that package out there. I don't think you can put that package out there and just run. And I know that we've been saying that for a few weeks, um, but I think that that may actually come to, to bear here with a very good defense. Um, Florida's running game is not efficient. I'm not making that up. It's just not. Um, but what Florida does running the ball can, can attack Georgia's defense in the way that you should attack Georgia's defense. We talk a lot of tight front stuff. Texas, Iowa State, Big 12. Georgia runs a variation of that. It's, it's for all intents and purposes, basically the same thing. A little bit different, but basically the same. The, but, way, you uh, attack, the way you attack the tight front is with gap running schemes, power, counter tray, that kind of stuff, and Florida can do that. But um, why is this so important in recruiting, this one game? Well, I mean, think about who's recruiting as far as Florida's rivals, like who's actually beating them recruiting, it's it's Georgia. And, you know, Georgia has come into the state and taken some really elite-level players that Florida wanted in, you know, back-to-back years now under Kirby. Uh, if, if Florida can get this, I think it could really slingshot their recruiting a good bit. Like, this could really be a big deal. It's like, hey, you know those guys that, that sell that flash up there in Athens but have the same record as Mark Rick through the same number of games? Yikes. Uh, we, Yikes. we just took them down, right? Yikes. They're, they're, they're all flash, no substance type thing. Uh, but if if Georgia goes and just makes Florida look like it's not on like they don't belong on the field, like Georgia's pretty much done to every single SCE's team except for South Carolina over the last two years. I think they won every every East game over the last what two and a half years now by double digits except for that one. That'd be pretty big. I 
I'm interested to see, can Georgia pop some big runs? Georgia's run game is efficient. Georgia does stay on schedule. It doesn't find itself in third and long all that often. And that's you know when Grantham really is able to dial up that stuff. But you usually beat a Grantham defense by hitting it with explosive plays, not mm-hmm. by, you know, like paper cuts. And so far, Georgia has not hit explosive plays at all this year. They've got to find a way to scheme up some explosives. If they can, then I feel good about Georgia winning the game. If they don't, then I really don't. I, I do think people might be underselling Georgia's defense a little bit, though. Like, that's the one uh, thing. Yeah. Like, if, if I said, hey, what's the best unit in this game? Georgia offense, Georgia defense, Florida offense, Florida defense. Probably the Georgia defense, right? It's Georgia's defense. I don't even – yeah, it's Georgia's defense. Not not by a mile, but it's Georgia's defense clearly. Yeah. Okay. Right. But I feel like that's the unit we talk about the least here. I think it's just because it's a known quantity. I think it's a known right. quantity that we take for granted, which is saying something. Um, because they have played under Kirby Smart really, really well. Okay. All right. Um, I'm feeling a low-scoring game. Does that feel right? 28 wins this game. Okay. I twenty four might win. Twenty eight definitely, yeah. Yeah, twenty four might win this game. All right. Um, I like the idea of this being a pressure point for recruiting because so Bud, if you don't know and you're not from the area, this rivalry right now kind of really lives in Florida because of the way that Georgia has recruited. Yes. I, I, absolutely. Um you know, Georgia's got come down there, they, they they've taken kids. Obviously, they, they got the quarterback that Florida wanted this year in, in Carson Beck, who everybody thought was going to commit to Florida uh, before he committed to Georgia. Uh, they, they they got another big time defensive tackle out of the uh, Apopka area. Um, they've they've taken a lot of players that, that that the Gators have wanted, and like them them in Clemson. Obviously, Florida can't play Clemson. That's kind of a she's battle to fight, and they're not fighting at all right now. Florida does have a shot to uh, to take down Georgia here. Uh, but let's move on just for a second to the other Florida game, which is Florida State Miami. Uh, it is in Tallahassee, so we talked about it. I teed it up a little bit. Um, I don't know. Time will tell whether or not it was a program changing, world changing moment with Willie Taggart yet again beating Syracuse to maybe right the ship. We're going to find out this weekend because they Florida State really, really needs to tie that together with a win over Miami for obvious reasons. Um, it, it, it's going to build morale. It's going to build a little bit of identity. It's just going to help things in Tallahassee. The Knolls are four and four. A bowl feels like it can happen now because. They are at Boston College, and they still have Alabama State before they play Florida uh, after Thanksgiving. This, however, just assuming for a second that Florida State will not beat Florida, that they are not as talented in any regard, which I feel like is safe to say, um, this is the swing. This would be huge for the Knowles. Am I overplaying this, bud? No, I, I think this is pretty important for both programs. If you're really taggart and you lose this, and you're, you're going to go to 0-4 against your rivals, 0-6 if you count Clemson, which... FSU fans are kind of split on, on if that's a rival. Yeah. Uh, well, but, you have to I mean, beat a rival I, I, I for it to be a rival. Whoa! Yeah. Hey! <laughs> right, awesome. exactly. That 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 series has been like a weird amount of blowouts, actually. Uh, so but, this is really interesting. Florida State last week went to the Wild Cam, which is Cam Akers at, at quarterback, and uh, they, they use that a lot. And Alex Hornibrook is terrible on passes down the field. I, I charted it, and uh, he was one of eight in terms of being on target on throws that went more than 10 yards in the air. If you're Miami, you're going to see that, and you're like, "Yeah, we're we're going to go ahead and uh, focus on the run and, and flood these short and intermediate passing areas uh, with defenders and, and make make you prove that you can go up top and beat us." Uh, but the wild cam is is a different is kind of a different animal, and I think you're going to see that from Florida State 
more than people think. They they ran it for I think 15 plays against Cuse, and I know they have more wrinkles to come off it. If you uh, go back to the Virginia Tech game last year, they had some on there. It wouldn't surprise me to see them do that, especially because Pitt had a lot of success uh, against Miami late in the game running their own version of Wildcat. But we talked a lot about this. You and I talk about it on podcasts, and we talk about it casually because we saw both sides of a really unique moment, which was the recruitment of Cam Akers, who is from Clinton, Mississippi, uh, was thought to be a favorite for Ole Miss. Everything happens with Hugh Freeze in the NCAA, really right as Cam is going through the the peak of his recruitment. Florida State gets in there and gets him, um, not last minute, but kind of close to it in terms of the longer phase of recruitment. And this this one signee, this this one player, it's almost like a basketball type moment, has maybe saved Willie Taggart. Oh, for sure. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about him. If you don't have Cam Akers, I, I think Willie is uh, would be tough pressed to have 2020. Yeah, it, it I mean, would he, really. He's, de- he's definitely saved him, and it would expose some of the you know the coaching uh, errors that Willie's had in, in some of these games. Having um, Cam Akers allows him to probably get 2020. You know? I want to, but I want to ask you about Miami as well because uh, also at four and four, the Canes have had a I don't know uh, hiccuping year, uh, schizoid year. Um, I don't understand their identity. Just watching some of these games, um, an important win against Pitt because uh, obviously they're four and four. They have the Knolls. They finish the season with a Louisville team that's getting respectable. A bye, FIU and Duke. Um, did um, we talked a lot about? building a roster with the transfer portal and Miami kind of volunteered itself, bud, to be the first team to experiment with really building a roster in a one year type way. You know, the way we've seen in free agency and pro leagues um, is, can we say right now, like it didn't work, it did work or, or we don't know yet. Short term. I think it's, I think it's worked out. Okay. Uh, Trevon Hills played a lot better. Uh, KJ Osborne has played really well. So the two transfers they went out and got from Virginia tech, and Buffalo are, are paying dividends. They, they took a transfer from uh, Butler, I believe it was, at offensive tackle, and he's not even not even second string at this point. They have a couple other guys who are, are probably not going to work out. Tate Martell did not work out. We'll see what happens with, with, with Jalen Phillips. Uh, Bubba Bolden, the safety they got from USC, we'll, we'll kind of see on, on how, how he progresses down there. But overall, I mean, Miami's best offensive player – has arguably been KJ Osborne, who, who was a transfer from from Buffalo. Uh, so I, I would say it it did work. I'm I'm excited to see what happens in, in this game. Both of these teams have extreme weakness at offensive tackle, right? And last week, I think Florida State ran one pass that was not screen, quick game, max protector RPO. So like they really went all out to protect those guys. Miami's offensive tackles don't really block either, and uh, they have both teams have major quarterback issues. So this thing could be a like a turnover sack fest type thing with, with some explosive plays on both sides. Miami's defense is the best unit in this game. Miami's offense is the worst unit in this game. Uh, Bud it's, and Richard, where have all the offensive linemen gone in the state of Florida? That's a Bud question because I am also interested in the answer to that question. <laughs> I mean, the, well, some, the big three do not have good offensive lines at all. Florida had a really good offensive line last year, and I think they were expected to take a step back this year and and have. Yeah. Uh, Florida State had some you know real real kind of management, and then also injury issues that kind of just sapped the potential of some of these kids they got. Miami uh, has just not recruited at a level well enough, and they have not developed very well um, either on, on that side of the ball. So 
specifically a tackle, there's there's been a real issue there. Yeah, to say the least. Um, to come back to our actual structure. Uh, no, no, no. That's that's the actual structure. Nice yeah, show, yeah. and then absolutely tank the thing in Florida. Um, the pick here for the afternoon, I think, is a is a is a nice quality rotation. This is actually very top heavy. With uh, I'm gonna keep the metaphor going, the entrees, if you will, because um, Florida Georgia to me uh, will be ugly in a very watchable way. I feel like Miami and Florida State will be very ugly in a watchable way. For me, the kind of writing and contribution that I have in our little outfit is narrative driven, and uh, Miami Florida State drips of that. I think uh, there's just an interesting moment happening in the SEC East, especially if Florida were to win this game against Georgia. So it's very easy to pallet that. We will talk about Utah and Washington in a second and the Pac-12. Uh, this is a very good afternoon because, again, you also have games underneath that. We K-State, Kansas, TCU, Oklahoma State. There's there's a nice amount of flip around as well. So it's packed. It's packed. Um, I would anchor, obviously, on the cocktail party in Miami, Florida State, and then move about at your leisure. Gentlemen. Let's go to the evening. Um, I'm pretty sure I left off at 6 o'clock. If not, I left off at 6 o'clock. Cincinnati goes to East Carolina on CBS Sports Network. Ole Miss goes to Auburn on ESPN. Northwestern is at Indiana on FS1, also on Fox Video. Check your stream and all that nonsense. Uh, UAB goes to Tennessee. Look out now on ESPNU at (laughs) 6 o'clock. That'll be fun to talk about in a second. Uh, The big game, the game day game, is SMU at Memphis at 6.30 on ABC slash ESPN3 slash check your local listings. Uh, Vanderbilt is at South Carolina on the SEC Network. The ACC Network has Virginia and North Carolina. Uh, Just we got to figure out the coastal in a second. Uh, Oregon is at USC at 7 on Fox. Uh, and then I will go with the 8 o'clock game and then tie it up for the drunk in a second. Uh, Colorado's at UCLA on the Pac-12 network at 8 Central. Four games in the drunk. We'll get to those in a second. Uh, again, a narrative-driven evening, gentlemen. Um, huh, there's so much to mention here. Um, Richard, you've got a bunch of Indiana notes. Hashtag 9WinDiana. Um, shout out to Homefield, our sponsor. Um, let's talk briefly about how good Indiana could be. Um, and that's a very interesting thing to me, but it's also like the fifth or sixth coolest thing in the evening. So packed evening. Well, I, we got to talk about Indiana cause I promised that we would, we did not hit them on Sunday. We, we promised that we'd come back to them. Yeah. Um, and they play a pretty damn big game against Penn state in three weeks after a bye after, well, I guess two buys, if you count Northwestern as a bye. Hey, um, look, you, uh, Indiana has a really, really, really good football player. Um, and Watt Fillier, he is an inside kind of slot receiver type short guy. Um, may kind of remind you of, of Tyreek Hill um, with the Chiefs. Um, he is actually from Florida, funny enough. He's from Tampa, uh, Tampa playing high school, football factory. I know everybody in my college fraternity uh, just got really excited about that. Um, look, they the offense, the passing offense at least, runs all the way through Wap Fillier. He's got 78 targets this season. The next closest receiver has 39. Um, the most interesting thing that they do with him is they cut his split down. Um, so they, it's called a nasty split. He is pretty close to the core of the formation as a slot receiver. And what they do with that, they do a lot of like whip routes where he kind of runs up the field, stops, 
faces the quarterback and then jets out outside, um, or he does some shallow crosses and that kind of stuff to get him open. But he he is absolutely the focal point. That offense is interesting with what it does on the ground as well. Kalen DeBoer, the offensive coordinator there, um, if you want to see their first touchdown against Nebraska on Saturday was a, a beautiful uh, split zone, zone read type thing. Um, it was a really, really cool play. So watch this game, if for nothing else, that. Um, can Northwestern stop Wap Villier? And then how does Indiana adjust to that? I don't think Northwestern's going to score because, you know, it's Northwestern. Um, so as you're buzzing around in the in the evening slate, pay attention to Wap Villier in Indiana. There, that's my screed on 9 Indiana. And so just because his targets are so, so disproportionate to the rest of the team, as he goes, so goes the offense is an easy way to access this, right? Yeah, that's your front door. I mean, that that's okay. that's the – if you've never seen Indiana play, this guy is their talisman. Excellent, excellent. Um, gentlemen, Bud, you first. Um, walk me through the coastal situation with Virginia and UNC. So they are, uh, like, co-leading the coastal right now, both at Who isn't? Two. In the conference, <laughs> I and, believe this uh, podcast is also leading the coastal. Yes, uh, if like the winner of this is going to be in first place in the coastal plus a tiebreak game, so you know that'll be good for uh, for the winner here. Uh, UNC has uh, scored 147 points and they have allowed 128 points in in conference play over five games. So uh, yeah, 19 point edge over five games, not exactly dominant there. <laughs> Uh, by any stretch, UVA has you know forty-two points in five count or four, l- looking a little bit better there uh, for for UVA. But UNC is actually favored. They might be getting some guys back off injury here. Uh, North Carolina could win the Coastal in Mac Brown's first year, which I think says both good things about Mac Brown and potentially not good things about the Coastal. How many three-loss teams in conference play will the Coastal end up with? Uh, oh, only three? No, no, no. How many? How many three-loss teams? Like, do you mean three or more or just exactly three? Exactly three. Right on the nose, three. Uh, I'm going to say three. Three three-loss teams. And someone will rise above and win that side of the division with a Mondo tiebreaker. Yeah. I'm just going to repossess this conversation for a second because this is the kind of... This is the kind of overall performance that allows so many coaches agents to spin so many different arguments out of a big batch of mediocre teams. It's almost impossible to look at these schools and figure out some are clearly on the rise. Some are clearly in a rebuild, but it's just such a mess. Um, And it might result in a bloodbath next cycle, not this cycle, but next cycle. I think uh, some ACC coaches could get, could get whacked for all this. Um, UAB and Tennessee is a football Buddy. game. So everyone in uh, in Knoxville is now um, completely back on board. Back, oh, absolutely. I absolutely. can report. Um, everyone in Knoxville is uh, completely bought back in. Um, be, that you know, that's the kind of equity that you get from from beating a Will Muschamp South Carolina team, I guess. Um, and yet here we are. A plucky UAB team comes to town with one loss. They and Louisiana Tech are sort of driving the Conference USA story this year, and it's a pretty forgettable year otherwise in Conference USA. Um, can somebody talk me into UAB winning this game? 
I mean, I don't know how much you have to talk yourself into UAB winning this game. I think keep going. I like it. I like I, it. I like the most Tennessee shit ever would be Tennessee losing to UAB and then Kentucky next week without a quarterback. Um, that that is the real distilled Tennessee thing. Mm-hmm. We've talked up Tennessee the last two or three weeks. I'm kind of unsettled by it. I don't know. I, I imposter syndrome. I don't know who I am anymore. But, like, I do think Tennessee is a test case for something that I think I am not very good at, personally, as an evaluator or a writer or an observer of college football, which is not just writing a team off after four or five games, taking games one through four as a sample, and then taking games four through eight and letting four through eight speak for itself and then contrasting that with games one through four. And when you do that with Tennessee, you can't help but be a little bit impressed by how much they have righted the ship. Now, that being said, games eight through 12 are their own samples as well. And I'm not ready to declare Tennessee a good football team or an above average football team. That is not what I am here to do. I'm here to say, let's see what Tennessee can do over the next four games of their season for so, so many different reasons um, uh, as far as how we talk about this program and how we will talk about this program for the next nine months. But if I'm gambling, am I touching Tennessee in this game? Uh, if you get single digits, I might. Uh, but I, I don't I don't think you will. Uh, the one reservation I would have here about UAB is that UAB's last three opponents, Rice, UTSA, Old Dominion, all They're, inarguably the worst, like uh, among the worst ten teams in the nation. Yes, sir. And we, on the hurry up, we have isolated Louisiana Tech and UAB as teams to say, "Hey, attaboy, boy, you're you have one loss. You're doing well. You're not in the G five top five because the quality of the conference is just, it's just bankrupt." Yeah, it's 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 real bad. You you, you guys are exactly right about that. On the hurry up. Uh, Tennessee hit explosive plays last weekend on offense, and that was impressive to me. Like that was the real key to them winning that game. It, like I don't think their defense played that well necessarily overall. Although I do totally agree with Richard. I think it's an improved defense over the last month. But man, like you look at the key to that game for for Tennessee, it was it was their their offense. They had I think 250 yards on five explosive plays, and especially didn't they run a John Jennings ran a kickback too? The special teams. Okay, too. I mean that that's like. Their offense looked looked very good there. Um, Tennessee is a they're a top sixty team, top fifty team. Top probably? yeah, top sixty. I think top sixty is fair. That's a, hey, that's above average, right? right. If you define average as sixty fifth. And I also think like I think Tennessee. Speaking of it with agents. <laughs> I also <laughs> think that Tennessee, like Tennessee, you can spin this like I'm just talking about. You can spin this as getting better. You can spin this as. Three weeks ago, we were looking at this UAB game and were not entertaining. The, like, I sat on a train with our buddy Ryan Nanny and talked about Tennessee legitimately going over for the rest of the season. Yeah, um, definitely. After the Florida game. Like, that was a serious conversation that we had. Uh, I do a lot of radio in Nashville, and I go in studio with some guys, and, and I remember distinctly during the bye looking and saying, I don't know how it's possible, but if you go 500 through the next, through October, it's... It's a salvageable deal, and I look up, and they did it. It's unbelievable. They did it the only way they could, by the way, which was beating Mississippi State and South Carolina because they weren't going to beat Georgia, and they weren't going to beat Bama. But 
they're alive. They're two and three. That's a better winning percentage in the SEC than Mississippi State or Kentucky or South Carolina. Yes, they lost to Georgia State. Yes, they lost to BYU. But I don't know what the Pruitt era holds, but we can talk about the recruiting at a later date. This is not a dead team. This is a team that is poised to go to a bowl because they've got four to win three. They've got four to win three, guys. I mean, look at Missouri. I do not know about that one, buddy. I like maybe, maybe. But here, here's the thing. Like, I'm not trying to stump for them. I know, I know. It's funny. Like for whatever reason, they're just they're they're so much funnier as a punchline. But like Kentucky, Missouri, Vanderbilt. Kentucky does not have a quarterback. At what point is this like not? I mean, there's a chance they do win out. I I, I don't know what's. I'm not going to use the word funny. I don't know what's more interesting to me: Tennessee winning out, or at least going three and one all the way home, or Tennessee losing the next two games. Like what's all just entirely possible from a storyline perspective? They could do either one. They could conceivably, conceivably. Go four and zero here. Although I don't, I don't think they'll beat Missouri, but they could conceivably do that. There, there's a lot on the table for this team. All right, gentlemen, we've got a lot left on the table as well. Uh, oh, SMU and Memphis. It's the game. It's the game day game. Um, but you first. Tell me what I'm looking at. My assumption is this: um, we're gonna we're gonna out fireworks each other. We're gonna have a good time doing it. Memphis is a little bit more balanced because they have a better running back, in my opinion. How far off am I? Uh. I don't think you're far off. Here's the one key, right? Memphis is super explosive. They rely on the explosive play. SMU has one of the worst defenses, not just in the conference, but in the entire country in terms of allowing explosive plays. You can hit that, like hell, what did Houston hit, an 80-yarder and a 96-yarder against them? You can hit big plays on them. That's what Memphis lives on. Uh, that's why I think I, I think Memphis is is the, uh, the bet here. Richard, Minority Coordinator of the Week. Yep, uh, TJ Rushing, Memphis's defensive passing game coordinator. Notice I did not say defensive coordinator. Um, the defensive passing game coordinator has now sprung up across staffs all over the country, just like the offensive passing game coordinator did four or five years ago. Um, yep. Basically, the way it works, if it's not just an empty title, is during the defensive team meetings throughout the week, uh, the, the defensive coordinator will look at your defensive passing game coordinator and say, what you got as far as coverages, um, any type of schemes on the back end that we may want to install for a specific opponent. That's the job. That should be the job, at least. On some staffs, it's not. Anyway, uh, Memphis has a really weird coaching staff, like, anyway, as far as title goes. They have an assistant head coach, which is normal, but they also have a deputy head coach, which I don't know what they're doing here, but that's how agents make money. Um Memphis, like like Bud said, if this becomes an explosive fest, how does Memphis on the back end limit SMU's explosive plays? How do they make SMU blink throughout a sixty minute game so as that they can't so that SMU can't chase the number of points that we think Memphis should be able to put up in this game? Mm-hmm. Um, how, how does Memphis limit that? How does Memphis uh, kind of top? this game from a scoring perspective. And yeah, SMU can run the ball too. Don't get that twisted. SMU can run the ball too. So that is that is the interesting schematic spot um, for our minority coordinator to watch this week. By the way, uh, he might have, and I totally agree, I think Memphis' past defense has looked a lot better this year. I don't know if Reggie Roberson's going to play for SMU. He's their number two receiver uh, by a wide margin, and if they don't have him, 
then Memphis can focus more on James Proche. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and get this out of the way because I feel obligated. Um, obviously, this show has stumped for years for the Group of Five, namely the American Athletic Conference, for quality of play, for these teams having a value and an identity at the highest levels of college football. Therefore, I'm just going to go ahead and mandate a ruling that this is the game to watch, even though obviously it is not the only game. Um, this is a showpiece moment for Mike Oresco and something he has lobbied his ass off to get for this conference since, since the day that he took over the you know this this crumbled bizarre collection of teams that they called the American second year in a row good. though second they they had UCF and uh, and Cincinnati on Saturday Night Football last year too. This is to me a little bit bigger because I want to say it's a little later in the season than that game was. Am I right? I think it's roughly the same time. But I think what you have here is you have two teams who you're interested in. Like it's last year, it was UCF and the Usurper. UCF was yeah, the storyline. Yeah. And Cincinnati this is about being, this is about Cincinnati being good enough to hold up their end of a of a primetime game, but not actually competitive. Right. Right. Yeah. I um, from, from I want to ask the Tennessee man the question here: um, If Memphis wins and Tennessee loses, like yes. what is what is the Tennessee conversation? Um, well, Tennessee's a, a strange state because it, there's there's very little fluidity in, in in communication, and there's very you know there there are three stars on the Tennessee state flag, and it's it's maybe one of the most apropos state flags I've ever seen because there are three distinct cultures. Um, very quickly, the way that shakes out in terms of college football is that you have the West, and that's the city of Memphis that very much loathes and hates Middle Tennessee, specifically Nashville, for cultural economic reasons. Um, if you don't believe me, ask anyone in the city of Memphis about the Tennessee Titans. Um, <laughs> the level of acrimony you will receive will shock you. Um, Memphis is Memphis. Now, if Tennessee were playing Memphis, then you'd be able to draw a narrative together because Tennessee is still that color orange, albeit almost threadbare, still sort of unites the state. When Tennessee was good, when Fulmer was on, they had a commanding presence in Memphis. I'm sure Bud can tell you so much of the SEC used to, and maybe one day will again, route through Memphis in recruiting. That's why it became the Wild West. It became the dirtiest city in recruiting. Um, I don't know if these two things will touch each other that much. People are going to start asking why Mike Norvell is not leaving Memphis. So that's a conversation we can have on another day. Um I don't know if these things are going to operate concurrent to one another. Memphis is sort of its own state. And then Tennessee, because the energy is back up, because of the the you know winning two out of the last four and all four being in the SEC, um, I think if they lose, you know, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you guys, I don't know if much is going to happen in terms of identity and narrative because, look, you've already been – you know, you've had the steel steel chair to the head with BYU and Georgia State. So losing to UAB would seem, I guess, fitting in a season in which you beat South Carolina and Mississippi State and then maybe even go on to beat Vanderbilt, to beat Kentucky, to beat Missouri. That's entirely possible, guys, because UAB might be the most complete team of those four teams that I just listed. I think this Tennessee – like, I think Tennessee – for it to really tank at Tennessee – I think that Tennessee also probably has to lose to Kentucky. Like, and the the back to back week ish thing there of losing those games would be something to behold. Uh, the the low key rivalry between those two states is that you absolutely never lose to Tennessee in basketball, and you absolutely never lose to Kentucky in football. It's very cut and dry. Um, 
let's talk about the Pac-12 for a second again. What is what does Dad love the most? Dad loves easily identifiable narrative. <laughs> easily identifiable narrative in the Pac-12, gentlemen, is as such. Oregon is at USC. Utah is at Washington. Okay, Washington and USC. Not easy places to play. Washington and USC, usually the prohibitive favorites in terms of programs in, in, in that conference. Both of them are skilled, flawed programs. USC more flawed than Washington at this point. Both teams completely capable of winning this game. Both of these visiting teams who are the favorites in the conference, they need not only, Bud and I talked about this before the show started, not only does Oregon need to win at USC, I think they also need Utah to win at Washington and vice versa. These teams need to see each other with one loss in San Francisco in that conference championship game. Bud, is it going to happen? I, I think it's more likely than not to happen. USC is really banged up. It's not a good thing when a lot of the players that the broadcasts are talking about are guys who I saw in high school camps last year. And a whole lot of those guys on USC's team uh, it, like are are that especially on defense right now, uh, they they're really banged up at the running back position. The one hesitancy here for the, for that game is Cristobal. I mean that punt he did last week was really ill advised in terms of like an expected points type type idea. But also, if you go back and look at the time uh, that Cristobal punted, it actually left him like like left Oregon with less time to get back down the field and kick the game winning field goal. Like he 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 shot himself in the foot two ways there. And the Ducks are very lucky they didn't lose that game to Washington State, and a lot of it is Cristobal's game management is is poor. Gentlemen, we have found a, a situation in which this zombified USC that has come on in the last couple months, the more they win, the more it hurts the Pac-12. And for years, and as a rule, the, the entire conference's success is routed through the performance of USC. So we're definitely in the upside down in that regard. Um Richard, can I feel confident about Utah's defense traveling? I mean, should oh, yeah. like as oh, a cliche yeah. and as rules of thumb in football, like I should feel good about that, right? Yeah, Utah's Utah's defense travels. I I have no bones about it. Now watch them lose by thirty. <laughs> yeah, well, anytime we get decla- declarative on this show, that's what happens. Um, is there one game you guys feel again? I I think they're so tied in terms of context. That's why I want to talk about them as a group. However, they are individual games with individual performances. Um, Utah's offense, no, not really functional at times. Washington, tough place to play. Totally capable of shutting you down. Um, I think I feel better about Oregon because they seem to have just been kissed by luck this season, especially in in uh, in close games in the fourth quarter. They've had two comebacks in a row, by the way. I mean, like. At what point do you do you think, hey, is this a destiny situation? Are they built to win? Are they good in stress moments? Um, I feel better, I think, about Oregon than Utah. Is that fair? I disagree. I feel better about Utah than Oregon. What Why? Utah did last week was, buddy, I did not see. I knew Cal was not going to score in that game. That's no secret. But whew, Utah hey. ran over them early and often. We did call a shutout there in that game. We did? Yeah. I said, I said, do you think that, that they should even play Huntley? Because Utah's probably going to shut out Cal because Cal's on his third-string quarterback. All right, I'll take it. We did that. So, yeah, Utah, so Utah fans pointed that out. Powers, Utah that sat on that game and did not get up. Um, 87 yards total for Cal, I think it was. And I think Whoa. that, like, Jacob Eason, I don't know. I don't know. 
Uh, it dawns on me that we screwed up the top line descriptor on Oregon this year just because they had a quarterback who was supposed to be a Heisman contender, who was coming back, all that stuff. In college football, one of the lazy things that we do is that we evaluate a team quarterback first and quarterback out, meaning that, that we just sort of focus on that position. Yeah, well, I we just ex- did it with Washington. <laughs> we expect uh, – but you talk about this. What, what? How many wins is a player good for? I think what we often do, especially those of us who are not as um, stats advanced, is we just assume returning quarterback with experience, this is a year where everything is going to congeal around that. What I see at Oregon is a great quarterback who returned, and that's awesome. But I still see a program in transition in terms of identity because of the way Mario wanted to recruit versus the way Willie Taggart and Mark Helfrich wanted to recruit. They're still in the process of becoming this SEC way out west team that that he wants to be so bad and that what you're seeing is a shakiness well let me back up what's convinced me that we're still seeing an identity transition is that i really did think well this is a new oregon new play style better defense they're gonna handle wazoo they did not handle wazoo no you're exactly right i mean it's they have receiver issues, right? I, I I don't think Herbert's that bad. I don't know if he's quite as good as some of these NFL draft guys think, but Oregon's receivers are, are not really a threat. And their defense uh, looked pretty mortal, honestly, two weeks in a row now with Washington and, and Washington State. USC can score on these guys, I think. I mean, USC is going to have the best receivers that, uh, that, that, that Oregon will have faced in the last couple of weeks. I just okay. don't know if USC can get any stops. Okay, lots to lots to talk about. Still, we we could spend another thirty minutes, honestly, on the evening slate. Um, so just uh, to install automatic AAC bias, we're going to say you watch SMU Memphis, but there's a ton of stuff to watch in the evening and the afternoon. I would definitely advise taking the morning off. Maybe build some goodwill with your loved ones or your children, what have you. Um, real fast, gentlemen, we're going to get out of here because we're over time. But uh, the drunk is at nine o'clock in ESPN two. BYU goes to Utah State. At 9.30 on CBS Sports Network, Boise's at San Jose State. New Mexico is at Nevada at 9.30 on ESPNU. And Facebook has at 11 o'clock Central. That would be, of course, midnight Eastern, Fresno State at Hawaii. Can I interest you guys in any of that? Oh, you most certainly can, good sir. Because you Ut- Utah State BYU is more squirrely than you would believe. Um, basically, a couple years ago, um, Gary Anderson talked a little bit of shit about uh, uh, about the LDS church and, and tithing and, and how BYU gets its resources. So, Oh, that's yeah. right. So there's a, yes. little bit of, a little bit of animus there. That one could get <clears throat> kind of squirrely. Oh, my God. The last thing I would want to do is piss off a BYU offensive line because they're dirty enough as they are. God, I didn't even think about. Man, Richard with the journalism pull of the week. So we're going to see some serious LDS eye gouging and and nut punching and various other things on the pile. I would just assume that if I'm Utah State, I avoid any play that would result in a group tackle because some horrific things are going to happen if 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 that's the case. Have you guys watched Utah State much? Because I, I I don't know what's going on with Jordan Love. I've not watched them, and like his numbers are just not good. I have only watched one game solely for their defense. Uh, Mike Sanford is the offensive coordinator there, the former um, head coach really? of Western Kentucky. Yeah, Western hmm. Kentucky looking a lot, a lot better and a lot more cohesive. Sanford definitely had to deal with some roster issues, some discipline issues, and just a kind of a mess at, at Bowling Green. But, man, they sure do look good in the first year under Helton. And then uh, combine that with the fact that Utah State doesn't really have a, uh, let's just say a strong offensive identity, as Bud alluded to, 
interested to see Sanford was one of those like rising star golden boys in coaching just a couple years ago. Um, one thing I will point out in the drunk, our friends at Hawaii, all right, they're five and three. I want to read this schedule to you now and understand it in the context, as Richard mentioned earlier, about looking at the front of the season, isolating it, and looking at the back of the season, okay? It's always fun to run through schedules. It's often a bad idea because you don't know how it's going to shake out after about three or four weeks. This is now the back end. So we have a Fresno State team that they're going to play this weekend who just lost to Colorado State. Very much a winnable game now, okay? After that, gentlemen, they have... San Jose, UNLV, San Diego, and an Army team that's on a significant losing streak. Could Hawaii win out? No, because I don't trust them consistency-wise. But they're, I, I mean, I think on paper they're better than these five teams. Skill-wise, yeah. I don't know how better they are against Fresno State. Excuse me. I don't know how much better they are than Fresno State. And I think San Diego State may play bully ball, punch them in the mouth, and say, "No, you're not going to be able to. Uh, you're not going to be able to run away with this. We are going to control this game." By the way, Hawaii's sitting- defense is like legitimately awful. By the way, like we're not talking about just bad because their offense plays really fast and they have to defend a lot of possessions. Like tempo free stats too. They are bottom 10 in the nation in defense. They're also really sloppy on special teams, and they turn the ball over a lot. Like, they're high-flying. I think they'll beat Fresno this weekend, but San Jose State could beat them seriously. Like, they could lose on the road at UNLV. I doubt it. But, like, they're capable of losing any of these games because of just how wild they are. Okay, so what I'm hearing is 10-3. and Yeah, that's about right. All right, sounds good to me. All right, gentlemen, uh, packed week. It's just all packed into the back end. Phrasing. All right. Uh, I appreciate your efforts. Uh, we'll just go ahead and say you enjoy whatever you want to enjoy on the drunk. I'm going to ride that 10-win Hawaii train. Shout out to Rolovic. Uh, we doing look-aheads? Yeah, let's do look-aheads real fast, bud. All right. Set the table for next week. LSU at Bama minus seven. Already up, in a, already up in a couple places. They're assuming two is going to be okay. Um, that's going to be interesting. Uh, Iowa at Wisconsin minus nine. Okay. Penn State laying eight at Minnesota. I'm going to be all over Penn State if that number holds. Because uh, I think Minnesota. By the way, Minnesota five straight games against backup quarterbacks now because Maryland had their backup quarterback Jeez. too. Talk Damn about man. fraud! Like I can't was on control radio who you play. Morning. Can't control yeah, who you play. Exactly. I've been so nice about Minnesota. I actually did not realize that five straight. Yeah, I, I, I was like, ooh, this is. As far as we know, Penn State will end that streak. Uh, maybe the win streak too. Uh, Baylor laying three at TCU, and then Oklahoma giving fourteen to Iowa State. It's in it's in uh, Norman, but that that feels a little high to me. I'm going to leave us on this. Don't short sell the revivalry. TCU just because Browse is gone still hates the hell out of some Baylor and is extremely pissed off that considering everything that's happened in Baylor, that they're suddenly back in this regard and back to this degree. So um, that's some nasty, nasty football on deck, gentlemen. I will see you next week for week eleven.